This is Observations Q&O Podcast for Friday, the 21st of May, 2021. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dale Franks. I'm Michael Wade. And uh, I got a, an interesting email this week from my university. Really? Yeah, they said that uh, we are going back into classroom for fall one. So oh, the summer awesome. the summer semester is the last one that we are spending outside of the classroom. However, that does put me in a little bit of a fix because um, I'm not vaccinated. <laughs> and so if I want to go in and teach, I'm going to have to get the vaccination. Um, Why aren't you vaccinated? Oh, well, no, you've got the issues, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I would have to go see the doctor. I would have to get a doctor's note to not get vaccinated. I doubt she would give it to me. I think the current advice is with my, like with diabetes and whatever, to go ahead and get vaccinated because the problem with, um, the problems you get by getting COVID are worse than the problems you would get you know, from vaccination, whatever the side right. effects might be. And so you know, it would come down on getting vaccinated. If you want to know why I haven't been vaccinated, it's 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 my choice based on biology and not being sure. Wow. Um, I don't know how much you know about virology or immunology. I mean, I know probably as much as you, I guess. <laughs> um, Neither one of us are you know, experts in that field. No, we're not experts in that field. Uh, I do, however, listen to experts in the field. And the one thing that has me worried about the current round of vaccines is not that I'm anti-vax. I'm not. Um, in fact, I was in the military. A hard place to be anti-vaccine when they're shooting you up all the time <laughs> and you're not deployable if you don't get vaccines. So I've, I've, I've had, you know, I've had the shit vaccinated out of me for for that stuff. Um, this particular vaccine, what bothers me is they're doing a widespread vaccination with a number of pretty virulent uh, uh, variants already in the wild. And yeah. so what scares me is the idea of immune escape from one of the variants where I get vaccinated with whatever the current vaccine is. And it works on the original COVID strain and probably on the, what, the B.1.134 strain and one other, which escapes my mind at the moment. Um, so I, we know that it works fairly well against two of the variants and the original. But we don't know about some of the other variants that are out there. And so my fear is you get vaccinated for the main one, which is a pretty specific vaccination. However, it's not specific enough so that um, if uh, you got one of the variants, it would protect you against that variant. The variant might escape your immune system response. And there are a couple of traditional uh, attenuated virus vaccines that are coming out. Um, I know that there's a French company that has one. A Dutch company is working on one. So those are on the way. And the French one especially, at least in the early clinical trial, seems to be a you know one-shot stop, providing uh, a, a traditional vaccine that provides the full-spectrum immunity that it's supposed to against all the variants. 
My fear with what we've got now is that they are too specific to this specific strain, and they there may be um, an immune escape from one of the other strains, and now you're kind of screwed because you can't go and get the live virus now because you've already been gotten the immunization, and so your immune system would attack the broad-spectrum live virus, so it would be an ineffective immunization. So, is there a, is there a live virus? I, I haven't heard of this. Uh, the there is a French company that is in phase three trials in England right now, and Britain okay. has already pre-ordered a hundred million doses of it. So, so there they is, seem confident. And that's a traditional. I mean, yeah. the ones that are being being given out right now are mRNA, and so they're a little bit uh, special, I suppose. Um, oh, well, I don't suppose. I mean, well, that's... they're they're specialized. I mean, they hit that one spike protein that right. the original COVID virus uh, sheds itself with, and so they're quite specific to that one. And we just don't have a lot of data right now about how good they are with the variants that are out there. And the trouble is, we already have a number of variants already in the wild. And so, if you were going to be doing gain of function research on a virus. Um, having a, a, a leaky vaccine in the middle of a pandemic is one really, really good way to do a massive gain of function experiment on a pathogen. And so that's the thing that, that I'm not scared of the side effects. I'm not as scared that it won't work. I'm not scared. I'm going to be shedding spike proteins or any of the other nonsense that the anti-vaxxers talk about. What I am scared about and we just have no data on it, so it, it puts me in a little between a rock and a hard place, is that I just don't know if it's a multivalent vaccine. And if it's not, and we start getting a variant that sweeps through, a multivalent vaccine might be blocked by your immune response, thinking that it is the original virus. Therefore, now you've got a real problem. You can't take an effective multivalent vaccine against the variants that are out there. And I, you know, I've thought, I can't think of a good biological or immunological argument that says that that isn't true. At the same time, I have no data that says it is true, but welcome to complex yeah, systems. between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So that's why I haven't been vaccinated. I, you know, I'm not scared of the vaccine. Although if I was to get one, it probably wouldn't be the mRNA vaccine. If I was to get one of the ones that are currently approved here, it would probably be the Johnson and Johnson, which is the closest thing we have to a more traditional vaccine. It uses the that's right, yeah. adenovirus vector, but it's still not a traditional vaccine. It's still a rather novel technology. So, well, and they're all novel. And and, and look, I mean, the normal course of an actual vaccine is like what uh, five, eight years. Um, to get it, well, to get five it approved. To, five to seven to get it approved yeah. and to get a full long-term phase three right. clinical on it, which we, of course, we don't have. We're doing, I, I guess, coming up um, in June, we will have six months worth of data. So we can at least do an initial you know, six-month phase three it, it, evaluation. Yeah, this is about a broad spectrum uh, of, you know, actual, you know, data that we can actually have and that and that's a good thing you know uh, we're going to have some data that that will give us information
yeah, but right now we don't have that information. What we really have are a bunch of short-term studies, um, which are interesting, but that's not really my concern. I mean, my, my, my big concern isn't that I'm going to have some long-term effect from the vaccine. My, my concern is that we're going to run into a variant that we have foreclosed the opportunity to vaccinate against by having such a spe- specific vaccine. And then when we do get a live virus type of vaccine, which apparently is fairly close to being released, um, it's not going to be particularly effective because our immune system will attack the virus in that vaccine rather than respond to the broader spectrum immunity that it would it would normally uh, it would normally yeah, okay. give. So so that's that's my problem. My my problem is is one of uncertainty and complex systems, not fear of vaccinations itself. Yeah, no, I understand that. And uh, by the way, to answer one of our uh, listeners who is commenting in the chat, uh, Jansen and Johnson and Johnson are essentially the same one. Uh, Jansen is, is the manufacturer that is making the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. It, it is uh, the attack vector is via an adenovirus. They have used this adenovirus attack vector on uh, vaccines uh, for a, a, a couple of other diseases. They seem to have been fairly successful with it. But again, my concern with the vaccines that we have now, the Pfizer, the Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson, is that they are an overly specific vaccine when you already have variants in the wild, so my worry is immune escape. So that's that's where it comes from. And again, I can't think of a biological reason as to why immune escape would not occur uh, if you have a leaky vaccine and variants in the wild. But on the other hand, I have no data that says it's actually happened. Um so I don't know. So, you know, this is the trouble with being fairly scientifically minded is that I, I can't find the information I want or there is so much information I, I, I can't wade through it. Yeah, I, I mean, I get that. It, it, but here's the thing. No vaccine is going to keep you 100 percent protected. Right. I mean, we have vaccines uh, every year for flu. Right. And they target it towards the most what they think are going to be the most prevalent flus that year. And for those who don't know, um, the flu is actually a really wide, uh, uh, you know, breadth of actual. Yeah, there's not a flu. There's like 50,000 flus. Right. And so the, the, they, they try to inoculate you against what they think are the, going to be the most prevalent. Doesn't mean you're not going to get the flu. Uh, it just means that you get the flu shot and it, it will uh, help you uh, against the most prevalent ones they think that are going to happen that year. And at the very least, it will reduce the severity even if That's, you do catch the right, prevalent exactly. One. But even even so, I mean, something like 80,000 people still die from the flu every year. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's no guarantees. You know, I've, I've, I've always kind of just skipped the flu shot because I don't like injections anyway. Um, and so I've never really, I can't remember the last time I got a flu shot, probably five or six years ago. Um, COVID is, is an order of magnitude more dangerous than flu. Um, but is it is it really in order of magnitude? Well, it, it I, certainly I is for people. It certainly is for people in my demographic. 
um, if you're diabetic, sure, yeah, COVID, yeah. If you got you have a you have a comorbidity right. that makes it fucking awful. Um, right. So you know, COVID scares me. Now at the moment, I, I don't feel any particular pressure to get it. I've been working from home since last March, so I am now you know 14 months into working from home. So. I mean, hell, I, I get my groceries delivered via Instacart. I don't even go to the grocery store. Um, I pretty much, when I go somewhere at some place you know, outside, like Home Depot Garden Center, oh, God, are we going to Home Depot Garden Center? <laughs> oh, do we have vegetables in the backyard? Oh, my God. Um, and guess who gets to lug around those 75-pound uh, big bags oh, of oh, I get dirt? This one. Uh, yeah. And so Chris, one of the last things she said before I came in here, you know, we need to go to Home Depot. I need more dirt. Fuck. <laughs> By what she means, you need to carry more dirt. So, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, places like that, you know, I don't have a problem going. And so I, you know, I feel that my exposure, my potential exposure to COVID is pretty low. So I haven't felt the you know, urge to go get a shot. Now, if I'm talking about having to have a shot by August, well, that now puts a little urgency on it. I'm going to have to make a decision. And I, I would really, really prefer a traditional live virus vaccine. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Now, I've had, I'm fully vaccinated now, but you know, I mean, it's the mRNA one, and I don't know how effective it is. I mean, I know what they tell me. It's like something like uh, 95% effective. And, uh, great. I just, I love being able to not wear my mask. <laughs> That's, that, that that to me is enough. I, I got so sick of the damn mask. I can't breathe in that damn thing. Yeah, and, and Chris and I both have KN95 masks, so, you know, I, I still see people walking around with freaking shamas wrapped around their face. I'm like, yeah. Uh, right. I mean, what the fuck is that doing? You're dead. Yeah. All you're doing is collecting, you know, uh, bacteria on your mask. <laughs> well, it's not even a mask. I mean, you know. When you can hold it up and see light through, collection. yeah. When you hold it up and see light through the holes, you know that you're probably not very well protected. Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't like wearing the mask either. But again, you know, I we really don't go anywhere except places that are largely outdoors, and you know, outdoor masking is not really you know urgent. Um, but you know, so so by. By August, I'm going to have to have had a vaccination or I'm just going to have to not go in this semester for or go in that semester for uh, a class because I'm sitting here waiting for the vaccine that I want rather than the vaccine that we have. Yeah. So my oldest, uh, he's going off to college this this. uh, Well, I guess August. And uh, yeah, he can't go unless he gets the vaccination. And he's kind of hesitant about it. Uh, actually, my wife was very hesitant about it, but she got the J and J one. It was sort of a, uh, I mean, it, it, it was happenstance. She happened to be in the grocery store, and they were like, "We got one left, and anybody wants to come get it." Spur of the moment. She was like, "Oh, damn it!" Yeah. Well, she was like, she really wasn't going to get it, and then she's like, "Damn it, this is uh, God telling me I need to do it." So she went up and got it. And, well, you know, it took two seconds and 
I have no intention of not doing it. I, I just want the vaccine that I want, something that has a lot more data. I, I, I don't, I don't, I, you know, and when it comes to my younger kids, um, I, I kind of agree with my wife. I'm like, well, she's a little bit over the top. She's like, well, what if makes them impotent? I'm like, well, what do you have that makes them, makes you think that will make them impotent? Well, I mean, you know, that gets us into quite an interesting area because, I mean, you can't find it on YouTube because they ban it. You can't find it on Facebook because they ban it. Yeah, it is but, interesting how the, the information has been absolutely banned. Yeah, and, and of course, you know, that doesn't make me more, tr that does not make me more trustworthy of the authorities. Um, yeah, no, I agree. In fact, that. quite the reverse. Uh, on the other hand, if you go to BitChute, it is chuck full of people who are talking about how, oh, it creates more gallons in your body, which are these weird metallic fibers that no one has ever <laughs> been able to find. What are those? Yeah, it's, it's gallons. A, yeah, more gallons disease. It's a fucking delusion. But, <laughs> but people pretend that they, it, it, you know, th this has been for the anti vax movement, this has been a goldmine because everything that they can do. To make people fear the vaccines. It will make you impotent. Um, it will make women infertile. Uh, it's right. all part of the big globalist plan to um, right. uh, to reduce population, as Bill Gates said in 2004. And so, you know, and, and I've but even seen people. this is the problem with, like, uh, the, the failure of the experts, right? I mean, they, they have not been honest. And they haven't been straightforward. And they haven't actually done anything that, that, that's actually helped the situation. They try to manipulate and uh, cajole us into what they want. And they haven't been consistent. They haven't been true. Uh, they've been quite dishonest. Well, let, I mean, me, let me tell you how dishonest they've been. Or at least if not dishonest, making it as difficult as possible to find out in, any information. Uh, and yeah. I think I mentioned this last week, which is this release of the you know post-vaccination data for people. And uh, what they did is they divided it into these really, really narrow demographic bands. So it's not like, you know, 1 to 12, 12 to 18, 18 to 40, 40 to 55, 55 to 75, 75 up. So, you, get, you know, like quintiles. No, it's like, you know, um, 12 years, 11 months and six days. To 14 years, 2 months, and 4 days. To 16 years, 11 months, and 9 days. And so there's these tiny, tiny little demographic categories. And it, it, it's very difficult to make sense of what the data tells you because it's not split up into like quintiles or, you know, traditional age segregation. It, it, it It's like 30 different demographic categories. And it's difficult to figure out what that data is telling you because it's so split up into all these different categories and you don't have the raw data. So there's no way that you can, because you don't know what the numbers are of the actual people. So there's no way that you can concatenate them into more, the more traditional demographics because you don't know what the numbers in each of those, the raw numbers in each of those demographic are. And so, okay, fine. You're telling me that this is all great and that this is an effective vaccine and everybody is all fat, dumb and happy with it. Great. Get ya. Um, but if that is so, and I'm not saying it's not so, but if it is so, why is finding the actual raw data so hard to find? 
Why is it so difficult to find clarity on these issues? I mean, if you're concerned with vaccine hesitancy, and I think the numbers are still uh, actually above 40% of people who say they don't really want to get the vaccine. Okay, that's a big number. Uh, And it's not because 40% of the population are racist hayseeds. There is a fundamental trust problem with institutions. And institutions don't seem to be interested in increasing the level of trust that people have in them, although they do seem interested in ordering you about and accepting their word for it by making uh, arguments from authority. Yeah, I'm nodding my head right now. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head there. And and that's the problem is that these institutions that we're supposed to depend on uh, being, you know, nonpartisan and straightforward with the facts, they aren't. And and they they have unfortunately entered the political realm and they shouldn't. Uh, I mean, that's uh, a death knell for trust in, you know, the, the... well, the CDC, uh, the uh, NIH, uh, I mean, these are supposed to be beyond uh, partisan pol- uh, political stuff. And yet they play right into it. A- and it's it's a shame because we've now do- we, we don't believe what they're telling us. And I mean, we uh, we being a, a great majority of. Uh, of of uh, you know American citizens. Well, I don't know if it's a majority of American citizens, but it's certainly a very large plurality. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I, I think the majority I, okay. will just see what they see on CNN or whatever and say, "Oh, I guess I got to go get vaccinated now," and they go get vaccinated. Right. And you know what? It may be perfectly fine. In fact, it may be the most rational thing to do. I sure would like some data to be able to determine whether that is in fact the truth. Yeah, see, that's that's where my wife was at. She was like, I, I just don't, you know, and, and especially when it comes to your, your kids, uh, I mean, she doesn't want them to, you know, have, uh, you know, suffering down the line because they got this, you know, rushed through uh, type of vaccine. I mean, I think it's fine. I, I really don't see any scientific evidence that it's going to be a problem. But at the same time, she's got legitimate worries. Well, you know, one of the things that worried me was a couple of weeks ago, whenever uh, the Mayo Clinic released that study where they had just injected people with, with what was not a virus, it was actually a dead virus, but it had the spike protein shell. Uh, and it got into their vascular system and started, uh, of course, this is done with animals, not with people, but it got into the vascular system, started causing heart and lung damage and brain damage uh, because the spike protein itself that is on the shell of the cor- coronavirus is apparently right. enormously destructive to your system. And what they're shooting you with in the mRNA is the freaking spike protein inside a lipid capsule. It is the spike protein. And they're telling us, well, don't worry about it because it's an intramuscular injection. It's not going to get into your vascular system, so it's not going to cause this heart, lung, and brain damage. And that may be true. I'd certainly like to see the data on that. Exactly. Yeah. Because the and, spike and, protein know, itself I'd, I'd really is like destructive. Data on how this got released into the public, 
And that's something that has been, uh, I, I'm segueing here, but I, I would really like to see, was this, uh, I think we've narrowed it down. I think that the evidence is in that this came from that Wuhan uh, laboratory and it escaped, you know, uh, I think that's the, that well, we we have no proof that that is true, but based on what we do know, that is the most likely hypothesis. Right, and so it was either released uh, accidentally, or it was released uh, purposefully. And if it was released purposefully, and it was because we're getting no data on this. And I, I think this is sort of uh, covering both worlds here. Well, this is a fascinating topic. And the reason why it's a fascinating topic is six months ago, discussion of, of the hypothesis that this yeah. escaped from the Wuhan lab was just completely unacceptable. Right. We were told it, flat out that that's just conspiracy, rumor mongering, and you should be ashamed of yourself for even thinking that our good friends, the Chinese, would do any sort of uh, thing like this. That was literally the argument that was made. They, they said that in the Washington Post. They said it on CNN. They said it in the New York Times. This whole Wuhan lab escape thing is just something from conspiracy theories. Well, well Fauci up on, on the Hill, he, he said the same thing. Yeah, well, guess the, what? This was total bunk. Last week, 26 um, biologists, including the guy that runs along with Wuhan, uh, the other of the world's two primary viral research centers, signed right. on to a letter in Science. Okay, not 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 some wild you know wild conspiracy publication in Science, which if you don't know anything about. Um, uh, biology, uh, academic biology. There are two publications in this country, and I, I would argue perhaps the world, uh, that are the two premier places to to uh, get a hold of scientists and to have your data published, and that are, are the periodicals Science and Nature. And in Science, this letter signed by the, the director of the world's other major viral research center said, we have to investigate Wuhan. A lot of the evidence seems to indicate that it may have escaped from the lab and and we have to investigate it, if for no other reason than to eliminate that as a possible hypothesis. But at this point, it appears that it is it, it, it there is a high likelihood that it did come from there and we are being disserved. And if we don't know that it came from there, then how do we stop it from happening happening in the future if we can't get to the bottom of what had happened? That, I think, exactly, is a yeah. fundamental change to the public and, dare I say it, the political argument that uh, this Wuhan lab escape hypothesis is just a bunch of conspiracist hoo-ha. Um, apparently, um, the conspiracist hoo-ha people include some of the top, uh, some of the, the top uh, 26 virologists in the world. So at least to that extent, the that, that what do you call it, that, that wall of silence has now been breached by people in science uh, publishing a letter that says, yeah, this is something we have to look into. So the argument that Fauci was making, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, that this is all just a bunch of conspiracist bullshit, um, that that argument now has to be dead. Uh, I agree with you 100%. And the thing is that, that they know that they've actually, since they've studied the virus itself, 
the, one of the things that they know is that you can't find this in nature. Yeah, it nature has, does not. Yeah, um, it has the hallmarks of laboratory interference. Exactly. And that alone, I think, makes the uh, Wuhan uh, laboratory escape uh, at, at, at the best. You know, it was accidental. Or release. Well, you know, and, and that's the problem. That, that, that's the thing that uh, I can't get my head past is that China did this on purpose. And it, it, frankly, I can't put it past them. Yeah, I mean, it seems like an extraordinarily stupid thing to do to release it and then hope that what you're going to not get hurt badly by it or the fact that you have one point three billion people means that even if a lot of them die, you still have the largest country by population in the world. I, I don't know. I couldn't put them past it. I couldn't put it past them. But right now um, they are firmly against any such investigation. Um, and I don't know if that's because communists generally don't like to be um blamed investigated for, on anything yeah, yeah investigated for anything because they're afraid that incompetence might uh, uh shatter the illusion of their omnipotence among their society or because they've actually done bad things either of those is possible uh and, and we don't know and if we don't investigate it we can't know and when our institutions are telling us it is illegitimate to even think about such an investigation that is a, again back to what we were talking about earlier that's an institutional problem that is an institution that can't be trusted it's certainly especially when you say i'm a scientific institution which the cdc proclaims themselves to be well then you're engaging in a lot of non-scientific thinking well, and this is uh, part of a larger problem, right? That, that these people who claim to be experts and uh, they're totally uh, capable of controlling our lives, and they do try to control our lives. Um, I mean, this pandemic, and I'm doing that. I'm doing quote fingers <laughs> in, in, in my uh, real life here. Um, they have literally tried to control everything that we do. And under what authority? Um, under what auspices of actual facts uh, ha have you done this? It's, it's another example of the attitude that the rubes and hayseeds can't be trusted to live their own lives. Exactly. I mean, that's literally the attitude. You know, we try to believe that we don't have a classless society, but we do. We have a political class, and then we have the rest of us rubes. And, you know, yeah, us rubes get to vote every so often, but what about all the, like, yeah, well, the, we can the fix bureaucracy? That. Yeah, I mean, what about all the bureaucracy that, that actually controls things? We don't get to vote for them. We have no control over them whatsoever. Yeah, Fauci's been running Trump that. In office. Fauci's been running the what is it? The National uh, Agency, Institute of, National uh, Institute of of something diseases, NIAD. Yeah. I don't know what the A stands for, um, but whatever it is, he's been running that like his own personal dog kennel for freaking thirty years now. Since the eighties, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, I, I saw him on TV the other day, and he said, "You know." As a doctor and a and a first responder, 
You're not a first responder to a fucking thing. You've been a bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. for 30 years. You haven't seen a patient since 1982. So don't even start with, I'm a first responder. I'm a health care giver. You haven't been giving shit to anybody. You've been a bureaucrat. That's the one thing that really irks me about this guy. Well, he's a doctor. That's what I love he about should know. when. Yeah, he was a he, doctor. Now he's a bureaucrat. Yeah. No, that's what I love about when Rand Paul goes up against him because Rand Paul is a doctor. I mean, he's an ophthalmologist, but he's, mean, a he's surgeon. an actual, yeah. I mean, he, and he, in his own time does lots of free actual, uh, you know, surgeries and whatever. And so, you know, he has a, a clue as to what's going on and he challenges Fauci on every single thing that he says. And Fauci gets so fucking frustrated. And by the way, Fauci lied to him. I mean, flat out yeah, lied absolutely, to him. Absolutely, that's right. And said, we are not doing any gain-of-function research. Okay, well, that's I guess that, de- that depends on what the meaning of R is, I guess. Because we now have the receipts um, where they were actually paying for gain-of-function research through a third party. Yep, exactly. So we know, yeah, in fact, that the they Wuhan, were. And uh, Wuhan Institute of uh, Immunology. A, or a virology, yeah. Yeah, that, that was where the research was being conducted. Um, so we know that he did, and we know that he was involved in it. And he did that despite a ban by the Obama administration on exactly that type of research. He used the loopholes, yep. But Tony Fauci knows way better than we do and way better than the president does. And he decided, Isn't that amazing? And he decided that this research was so important that he was going to carry it out anyway. And he did with American taxpayer money, despite a ban from the then uh, administration of which he was a part and as far as i can tell he's gotten completely away with it scot free well they always do i mean come on uh, look if you have a d behind your name or you're a d favorable you don't get prosecuted ever i mean look they're they're still prosecuting trump in new york it, it, it just it, it it confounds me i i you have Cuomo, who is probably one of the most corrupt uh, uh, and self-dealing uh, uh, governors since probably Mayor Daley, I, I, I would compare him to. Um, he, he is absolutely out of bounds. And, you know, oh, yeah, he might have done something wrong. Um, yeah, we might issue him a fine. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, it's it's gotten ridiculous. I'm not ignoring you. Guess who's calling me again on Friday night? Your mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom. So I'm texting her back. See above. Because I texted her last week, Friday night is podcast night. And she went, forgot. And then she calls again on Friday night. It may be time for us to look for a home. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the, you know, I, I, somebody, Brett Weinstein talks about this a lot. He calls it the, the corruption of our sense-making apparatus. Mm-hmm. All of the institutions, whether it is the media, science, um, government agencies, um, they require a certain amount of trust 
among the general public that they are providing us with reliable and relevant information that we can use to make the appropriate decisions about our lives. They are no longer doing so. And I don't know in whose, well, I have a suspicion, uh, although I do not specifically know, in whose interest they are making these decisions, but it doesn't appear to be mine. And it, it largely doesn't appear to be the interests of the United States of America. I don't know whose interests they're interested in, other than their own, but it doesn't appear to be mine. And when you lose that faith in institutions, it becomes very difficult to find the information that you need to make decisions about your life because nothing is nothing that you hear is trustworthy. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and well, look, I mean, the experts told us back in, I think it was the late sixties, early seventies, you know, the food pyramid. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> Better get packing those carbs away, buddy. Yeah. And that was utter bunk. It made no sense. Uh, and then remember like the margarine thing, who gets margarine anymore? Nobody. It's not even sold. <laughs> you know? And it was all because uh, the experts told us, well, this is how it works. And they were completely wrong, completely wrong. You know, the, the, the experts have not turned out to be very, expert unfortunately and we listen to them at our own detriment frankly and now we're not listening to them anymore yeah well why, why should we they 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 sent us off to diabetes village for 30 years right with their health advice and their dietary advice you know i i it it it's amazing how far we've how far we've fallen with with the trust that we have placed in these institutions in these institutions and the peril that they've put us in and i think people are, are only now beginning to wake up and you know of course when they do begin to wake up sadly people being people don't begin to look for you know other rational uh areas of information to seek out on their own yeah, they look out for they conspiracy find, theories. Yeah, they find stuff. what's convenient, and it's always, you know, conspiracy theories. Yeah, I mean, when you lose trust in, in institutions, then you go somewhere else. Well, who was it? It was either G.K. Chesterton. I can't remember if it was him or uh, who's the other guy? Uh, ML, uh, David Hume? John Locke. Uh, I'm no, just I'm just tossing out far. philosophers at random. <laughs> but one of them said that you know that um, if you lose a religion, then you, you you don't believe in nothing. You believe in something that's you know outside the bounds of uh, reality, and. That seems to have become true. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, we all need to be religious. That That's not my point. My point is that if you lose uh, 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 an actual, you know, feeling for the future, 
then you're basically living for now. And it seems to me to be the, the, I guess, uh, the, the, the zeitgeist of how most politicians are living and ruling us. And they are ruling us, which I hate. Uh, they don't have any real balls, frankly, <laughs> to, to actually do anything that, that's, uh, that's actually needed. What they do is buy votes. And why shouldn't you? Because that keeps you in a job. Right. And after all, that's the important thing. According to them, yeah. Well, at least uh, that's how they act. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah I, I got my job. I got my reelection in the bag. Who cares what effect it has on the country as a whole? Um, look, we, we've just seen this writ large over the past election with all these people promising, I'm going to give you $2,000. Right. If you elect me. And I'll ensure that you get your money. And by the way, you're going to get great unemployment benefits and everything else. And now that people are starting to be able to go back to work, um, jobs are asking for people, but there's nobody to take those jobs. And why should they? Because we've bought the votes with these expanded uh, unemployment benefits. And Lord knows what sort of negative things would happen to me in my political career if I advocated getting, getting rid of them. So, you know, I, I, I guess it's just going to be hard to find workers. So I guess you're just going to have to raise prices, uh, uh, raise salaries and, and thus prices until you can find enough people who want to come to work for you. Basically, and if there's, yeah. And if there's inflation, well, we'll just have to increase unemployment benefits more to make up for the increases in the cost of living. Um, why not just have this, this, this vicious cycle that goes on for 30 years and ends up in Weimar, Germany? What the hell? Who cares? As long as I get reelected. Yeah, so let's talk about that inflation. <laughs> that was uh, that was a rather bad news that that came out, and I I, I don't think it's going to get better. Uh, we've been talking about how uh, velocity is going to. I mean, and that that that's what underlies inflation. You actually the money has been bought up by mostly the Fed. So now that this money is going out there, I mean, how, how do you not have inflation? I I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I they they keep telling us that inflation is going to be moderate, and for all I know, maybe it will be. Um, certainly, with interest rates at historic lows, as we mentioned last week. Um, the Fed has a hell of a lot of room to start raising interest rates to bring inflation under control. Um, of course, <laughs> once they do, the last time they did that was the back-to-back -back recession of 1981 and 1982. Mm -hmm. And that's the last time, 30 years ago. Yeah. 30 some years ago. And, and so, I mean, if that, and if I kind of agree that they need to do that, but it's going to make things hell. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, your dollar does not stretch as far as you thought it would. Yeah, you may have do more dollars in your pocket thanks the, to, uh, you know, all these handouts. But 
those dollars aren't going to mean much. Yeah. You know, again, back to the Saturday Night Live thing that we talked about last week. Wouldn't it be nice to wear $800 suits, smoke $300 a cigar? <laughs> yeah, it, it would be great. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, this is going to turn out well. Uh, w- the fact that we're seeing inflation right now is, I think, a sign that um, the Fed policy is, is not good. Uh, we've obviously overextended our borrowing, and I think that putting money out there like we've been doing, I, I mean, yeah, okay. Let's go Keynesian. Let's see how that works. Well, it doesn't work out very well in the end game. Because what it does is it creates a lot of money chasing uh, goods that aren't there. Uh, So it raises prices. It raises commodity prices. And we're already seeing this. And we we had that already with restrictions from COVID. uh, That we don't have as many commodities as we want i mean look at lumber prices lumber prices are up like three thousand percent it's it's absolutely ridiculous where it's to the point where builders are backing out of contracts because they can't uh they can't build for the same price that they they thought they were going to be able to uh you know do I, i don't see a good end to this yeah, I was saying like, you know, lumber at like $100 for 12 board feet or something like that. I mean, that's just, mm-hmm. that, that's that's insane. Yep. And, I, and it, this is all due to government policy. It has nothing to do with anything else that, other than government policy. Well, like most failures of, uh, of this sort, it, it, it is government policy that causes it. Yep. And, you know, the way that we are doing it right now, well, look, Ronald Reagan, who campaigned on, on, on how shocked, shocked he was to learn that the national debt was $1 trillion, left office eight years later with a $4 trillion national debt. Mm-hmm. So this has been going on for quite a while. I don't know when the time comes to pay the piper. But it wouldn't surprise me if it um, wasn't if in the, the not too distant future. Well, look, and maybe not. Hey, maybe new monetary policy is or modern monetary policy is right, and we can just spend money that we don't have, and it'll never come back to bite us, and everything will be fine for as long as the sun burns hot in space. I mean, I wouldn't bet on it, but hey, who knows? And you know, people have been saying since the 1980s, hey, we're headed for a massive economic collapse and a complete devaluation of the U.S. dollar. Nobody has listened except for a couple of years in the the late 1990s. Uh, And outside of that, hey, just write more bad checks and we'll cover them later. Okay. And so far it's worked. Uh, I wouldn't guarantee that it's going to work forever. Well, it can't work. know this. And and it's... This is what's so funny about it. Uh, well, funny and sad it is that we literally know this cannot work forever. <laughs> uh, and 
because hey kick a can down the road and uh you know somebody else it'll be somebody else's problem okay um well it's becoming uh, an inner insurmountable problem quickly but i mean that's how it works right it it, it you know what's the old adage uh it, it goes badly gradually and then all of a sudden suddenly <laughs> that's i mean that's where we're headed yeah you know the, the trouble with monetary crises as i've always said is that they don't give a lot of warning it, None. Monetary systems always work right up until the point that they don't. Right. <laughs> and then when they don't, they really, really don't. And right now the system is working and nobody is calling out anything. And look, this is not the first time this has happened. Um, you know, the whole collapse of the, the, the housing market in 2007 was largely foreseeable. Um, and no one was willing to do anything about it. And naturally, there yeah, was a- because they were selling uh, homes, right? Yeah. And we were getting people in homes. Yeah, and after all, it's the right of every American to own a home. So whatever we have to do to make that happen has got to be good, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, there were a couple of people. You know, the interesting thing was that Clint, both Clinton and Bush, um, I, George W. Bush, not George H. W., but Bill Clinton and, and W., uh, both sent people to Congress to say, hey, you know, this uh, this housing market is looking a little frothy. You may want to back off on the uh, Community Redevelopment Act a little bit and um, uh, make creditworthiness a, a, a larger consideration. And Congress said, no, 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 no. Barney Frank basically just came out and said, why are you trying to keep Americans from buying homes? That's exactly right. Yeah. And and think about it. I mean, it, the, the the housing crisis. Uh, well, the the uh, housing uh, credit crisis uh, of two thousand seven two thousand eight was largely driven by middle class, right? It, it wasn't uh, you know the, the 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 people who were buying. At the low income, you know, high interest rate, uh, no collateral people, they were actually far and few between. It was mostly um, people buying on spec, you know, moving up because the interest rates were so fucking low and the money was just there. So they, they upped the game. And that's where most of the failures came from because that money was flowing like honey. I mean, there was a lot of resistance to the idea that the housing market could ever fail. Um, again, we talk about the failures of the expert class. One of the great, um, one of the great illustrations of this is uh, the big short. Uh, the movie with Steve yeah, Carell, and, yeah. uh, where, you know, they, you know, uh, Steve or, or not Steve Carell. Um, oh, who's his name? Batman. Uh, when <laughs> goes in, he's playing Dr. Stephen Burry and he just, you know, marches right into Goldman Sachs and says, Hey, um, I'd like to short the housing market. Can you, um, sell me a credit default swap? And they said, well, we don't have anything like that, but, um, 
hell, we'll take all your money for that that you want. And, yeah. you know, laughed at him when he walked out of the office um, uh, because they thought, well, this fool thinks the housing market is going to collapse. And you, there are several people who said, you know, you're betting the housing market will collapse. The housing market has never collapsed. Um, hello. Have you heard of 1929? Or 1989. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the housing market can and does collapse. Um, and so don't be taken by surprise when it does. And Yeah, exactly. Every, and all the experts were taken by surprise. And, you know, Michael Burry um, uh, and some of the other people, uh, I think they said it was a, a guy named Baum in the movie. That wasn't the real guy's name. Um, who had his own hedge funds, um, you know, they, they made all these bets against the housing market because they could see default rates were going up and everybody else just walked right past it. The rating agencies just gave out AAA ratings for stuff. You that know, they the knew rating were crap. agencies, I think, were the most criminal in all that. In that, that they just like gave carte blanche. They didn't actually evaluate any of those. And... They should have. After all, if Standard and Poor says no, you'll just go right down the street to Moody's, won't you? Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it was, uh, you know, I hate to say criminal, but well, it's awfully close to criminal fraud. Yeah. When you have a whole bunch of a whole bunch of C-rated crap uh, that magically becomes triple A-rated when it gets bundled exactly. in with a bunch of other C-rated crap, um, there's something wrong with the the rating system. And uh, of course, again, it's corruption. Well, I think that's right. And and that's the number one problem I have with the whole uh, collapse uh, of the real estate market uh, back in, you know, where was it? 2007, 2008. It it was, I think, wholly orchestrated by the rating agencies. I, I think that they deserve a lot more and they have not gotten any uh, attention to their their ways of doing things no and by I the think way they were after... wholly bought by Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and yeah they were yeah and, and and they they've faced no consequences for that well not only them no one faced any consequences no well, that's true yeah, that's I, right. I think one guy who ran a hedge fund for a bank somewhere I think a Swiss bank, I think he went to jail for a couple of years. All the people at the rating agencies, all the people at the major banks, people who should have known what was going on and who have, I'm sorry, I think there's something called a fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. that they completely ignored. Nobody got in trouble for that. In, in, in point of fact, what they got was billions upon billions of dollars in federal money to keep them from going under. Right. So rather yeah, too than... too big to fail, right? Yeah, you know, and, and that whole thing, while we're recapping history, uh, let me step back into the Wayback Machine. The way that you fix that problem is to throw billions and billions of dollars into the FDIC and say, hey, we don't care how much money you had in that bank. If that bank goes under, you're getting your money. We're sending you that check. You're not going to lose a dime. But if you're a shareholder or an officer of the bank and your bank goes under, well, yeah, then, you're done. Then I guess you're done. I guess you're screwed. And instead, what we did is, well, we'll just save the banks. And somehow, J.P. Morgan was the only one that went under. Well, but they went under early before. 
I mean, their exposure was so high, it was literally more than the entire market cap of the company. They were dead. And by the time we got around to doing any bailouts, they were already gone. But Goldman Sachs, oh, who had a former senator and a a former governor of New Jersey, um, they they managed to, to stay just fine. You and know, gave bonuses. Having connections uh, works out pretty well. And gave bonuses to their executives, by the way. That's exactly right. Well, the, the, those were retention bonuses because they needed to have somebody to manage the uh, downturn that yeah. Goldman Sachs never suffered. Yeah. I mean, they're alive and well now and doing all you know kinds of things. And still shuffling their executives between the Treasury Department and the C-suite of Goldman Sachs. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it, it's good to be in the nomenclature. Yeah, yeah, it must be. It must be great. You never have to to face any consequences for your actions, which is why you know I had an interesting conversation today with Chris, who was talking to me about who's this who's this Durham fellow, and of course she's referring to the U.S. Attorney who is looking into the whole Russia collusion FISA warrant. <laughs> and has been doing for like five years. In Broglio. And still hasn't uh, yeah. reported anything. And she's like, I, I hear he's, and I don't know who she heard this from or where she heard it, but I hear he's, uh, you know, he's got all sorts of information on these people and that he's going to, you know, he's going to unveil all this corruption. And so, so who's this Durham guy? And, you know, I almost I, I just didn't have the heart to tell her that um, he is a U.S. attorney who will do nothing. Apparently. Right. I mean, what the fuck has taken it so long? This has been, what, three years? You know, I, I, I think they found the hillside strangler before <laughs> in last time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and this was the worry, you know, I was. And by the way, it's Lehman Brothers. That it was Lehman Brothers that went under, because Lehman Brothers, J.P. Morgan is now J.P. Morgan. That's right. Yeah, no, it was Lehman Brothers. That's right. Uh, But I mean, I thought that Bill Barr was, especially because he, he, like, he did not take any nonsense from the, the Senate committees and the House committees. He was pretty straightforward. And I thought this Durham guy was going to, like, really deliver. And nothing. Absolutely fucking nothing. Nope. You know, he's, he's, and it, has, I, it hasn't been five years. It's a, it to, hasn't to, been five years, by the way. It's only been three. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think you have to be a Trump uh, a supporter to say, wait a minute. Why aren't any of these people going to jail? Why aren't any of these people being held to the same standards that everybody else would be held? held for? God bless if you're a you know Republican. You know, the last Democrat that I can remember who was uh, actually you know prosecuted was that guy uh, down in Louisiana had all the cash in his freezer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Alcee Hastings. No, Alcee Hastings is in Florida. And he was impeached. He was impeached as a judge for taking bribes and then got elected to Congress. Right, but I thought I thought he was the one that had the cash in his freezer. No, no, no. It was uh, another 
guy. I can't remember his name. It's kind of hard to keep them all straight, isn't it? Well, I mean, they're all so corrupt. And, you know, that's not a Republican or Democrat thing. They're, I mean, they're just corrupt. Worst political class ever. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> whatever hope I might have had in the Durham investigation, I think probably faded away, oh, I don't know, a year and a half ago. Yeah. I mean, look, we already know that they lied on the visa application. We know that and, they, we know that they the, know that they lied on the visa application. And yeah, this is public knowledge. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a difficult case to make. Right. So what what the fuck are you waiting for? Yeah, well, I uh I don't know. Uh apparently the passage of time. <laughs> yeah, That's, right. To let everybody forget. Yeah, just to let everybody forget. Well, Michael, I hate to cut this short. I am going to have to uh, because now I know why my mom is calling. Um, and uh, and I'm not even going to ask, am I the asshole? Because I know that I am. Um, <laughs> it never occurred to me that this is the 21st of May and the 21st of May is her birthday. So oh. I'm going to have to give her a call and it's 8 o'clock. So I better call now. So I am going to shut this thing down. And uh, uh, happy birthday, mom. Call my mom. <laughs> Have a great week, buddy. All right, buddy. Talk to you later. You've been listening to Observations QO podcast for Friday, the 21st of May, my mother's birthday. Thanks for listening. On behalf of Michael, Bruce, this is Dale Franks saying we appreciate the fact that you listen. Hope you'll be listening next time. Until then, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. So long. <laughs>